Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you in, in church this morning. Um, we're going to study the book of Galatians today. We're going to go into chapter 2. My name is Pastor Harv, and I'm going to be teaching this morning. A couple of things I need to just share with you real quickly before that. Pastor Doug talked about it last week, that next weekend is our annual church uh, congregational meeting. And in that meeting, what we'll do is, is that our corporate bo- uh, body gathers together. It'll be opened up by our chairman of our elders, and he will talk about uh, he'll pray for us, and then we'll go right into worship, and we'll celebrate the Word of God. But we do this uh, as a part of our responsibility to the state. Um, forward from that, though, what's most important is up on our website this year will be the annual report. It'll talk through everything that happened in the course of the last year of notes that we wanted to share with you. As you can imagine, it was an extraordinary year. And so in that annual report, I'll talk about a lot of things that God did in our church and then through our church. So that will be next weekend. And we just wanted you to be reminded of it for a couple weeks in a row here. Uh, the second announcement is this, is that Pastor Doug uh, this week, early in the week, started not feeling well. And then on Tuesday, went in and was tested. And on Thursday, was confirmed he has COVID. And so he's been at home uh, quarantining for the last several days, uh, managed all the different things around connecting with people, etc. He's doing really well. He wishes he was here. He said, Harv, go in, be the B team. So sorry, you've got the B team today. Um, but I'm here today to be your B team. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we want to pray for Pastor Doug. He's obviously in a vulnerable population as well because of some health things he's had, uh, but he's doing really well. He's in good spirits and can't wait to come back. His quarantining ends next Saturday night. So we'll see how I do on my audition this week. He may have me for one more week or he may be back next, sa- next Sunday. Uh, before we start, before we open up the Word of God, one of the things that I do as a discipline when I'm studying God's Bible uh, is that I'll pray. Because what I'm really asking is for the Holy Spirit of God to quicken my heart and to prepare me for what He wants to say. So let's do that for all of us and everybody out there on the live stream. Lord God, you've been gracious to us. You've been kind in, in every form and fashion in our lives. And we just pray that today you'll be kind to us through your Holy Spirit, that you'll lead us in your Word and that we'll have your wisdom as we approach it. We pray that you would anoint me as a speaker this morning, and I pray that you would anoint the brothers and the sisters and the seekers that are hearing it this morning. May your word have its full effect on our lives, and may we grow closer to you uh, because of it. Spirit of the living God, feel welcome to move in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to look at uh, Galatians chapter 2. We're studying about seven different rules uh, to live in the world. And today we're in the second of those rules. Look, we have a world that has got all kinds of rules out there, right? There are good rules. There are bad rules. There are smart rules. And I would imagine in your living your life, you've kind of come across a few what you would consider to be dumb rules as well, right? I mean, rules, rules, rules. And, 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 and the world's only getting to become more and more and more and more and more and more rules, right? So we're not trying to heap onto another set of rules. But what we're really saying is this, is that God has rules for your good, And those rules are meant as a blessing to live our lives. Last week, Pastor Doug preached on the first rule for life, and that is this. Never forget your purpose. Never forget your purpose. When you're out there living your life and going forward in this year, you need to know what your purpose is. Do not be aimless in this world. Even if you're just a seeker coming here this morning saying, yeah, I'm not quite sure about the Jesus thing, etc. Hear me on this. A purpose will guide your life 10 times better than being aimless. 
Have a purpose in the way you live your life. Know what your purpose is. God obviously gives us a purpose. The second one that we're going to talk about today is this, is that don't, let, don't be conformed by the world. This is a good rule. This is a rule you want to hold on to because the world will try to shape your life and they will not know when to stop telling you how to live, what to do, and what not to do. But they'll do it based on the whims of culture, not based on the truth of God. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today um, beyond how society just simply looks at its rules. So let's look at the verses here in chapter 2 of Galatians, and we'll dive right in as Paul. Because Paul, by the way, faced the same pressures to conform to the world that he lived in that you and I face in the world we live in. In fact, so much so that when he didn't do what they wanted him to do, they stoned him, they beat him, they lashed him. Uh, He was even shipwrecked uh, on his way to prison. This is what he said. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along with me also. Remember the name Titus. We'll come back to him here in a minute. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. So I want you to see this is this, is that a principle in Paul's life was when he says I went because of a revelation, what he's saying was I prayed about it and I had a sense this is what God wanted me to do. And what he wanted me to go do was to go meet with some other esteemed leaders. You need to hear this. The pressure was so big on Paul. He was getting front pressure from people when he was preaching the gospel. They were coming around, even sitting in environments like this, and shouting him down in the notion of, you're not telling the real truth. Their goal was that they wanted to make those people who heard the gospel turn them into Jewish culture as opposed to Christ followers. Hear me on this. The idea in your life is this, is that people will always want you to conform to their culture, even a church culture, resist it. What you're really after is this, be conformed to the image of Christ. Follow Jesus in your life. You don't need Doug or I to be the person that guides all the footsteps of your life. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, not this church. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, not one of your pastors. Hear me, you need a leader in your life, and it's the Lord. And what we also need is other esteemed leaders in our life that we go and present to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. Here's what Paul was doing. He said, I think I'm preaching the gospel according to the way that God called me to do it, but you know what I'll do? I'll go back to those other believers and I'll hold myself accountable. One of the parts of following Jesus Christ is that it comes with accountability to other believers. Not accountability as in we tell each other what to do or we put our thumb on someone else, but it comes with this idea, hey, help me as I'm walking in my relationship with God. The Apostle Paul had that as a principle that guided his life. He said, hey, I'm preaching the gospel like this. Am I off? Tell me, let me know. Next verse. I wanted to be sure I I was not, oops, sorry. I meant right down here. Let's go back one more right there. There we go. I, want, I was running. I wanted to make sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Go back to the purpose. He wanted to say, I want to be on focus. I want to be on target in my life. When you're going through with your purposeful life this year, remind yourself of this. Set benchmarks and milestones along the way to check in how you're going in your life. One of the greatest mistakes we make is we set up all these great ideas and then we never ever check ourselves on them. Put other people in your life who will check them with you. Verse three, yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. 
What he's saying is this, is he, I went to those esteemed people. I shared with them the gospel we were preaching. The whole issue was they wanted us to become a part of Jewish culture. We had a Greek who was in the culture, and even he was compelled to be a follower of Jesus more than a component of someone else's culture. The church creates cultures as well. You know that, right? We get so excited about our church culture. Hear me on this. Be in love with Jesus more than you're in love with foothills. But thank God for foothills so that we can be together to encourage each other and to be accountable to each other. We're here to encourage each other and be accountable to each other. Hear me on something. We pray deliberately for the other Christ-believing, God-honoring, Bible-teaching churches of this valley that God will flourish in their midst. There's not division there's not division. We, it's not our sticker church versus their sticker church versus their sticker church. Okay. We're not in a sticker war, just so you know. Okay. What we are is, is that we're different congregations, all part of one church, the church of Jesus Christ, risen, the risen savior and the living Lord. That's what we are. But what you should also hear is this, is that that doesn't mean that we're divided if we're in one church or another church. Some of you are praying, what church will we be a part of? Here, I'll tell you, you should be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's this congregation that you're a part of or another congregation you're a part of, but be in his church and his follower. In all those different churches, what my experience is, is that a lot of different congregations simply are different personalities, you guys go to a Broncos football game here in town, right? And you're watching the game. And what you see is all the different personalities played out, right? How many of you are the people that show up with face paint? You got hats on that are 15 feet tall above your head. You're waving finger. How many of you are that? Right? So, see, it's because we're not a Pentecostal church. If we were a Pentecostal <laughs> church, all the Pentecostals would have raised their hand and said, that's me, brother. I'm a Bronco all the way. Some of us wear, go to the football game, and what do we do? We wear a nice $190 cashmere sweater that's got a little bitty icon of the Broncos. And when the Broncos win, we go, hey, that's really great. How are you doing? Yeah, it's good to see you. Those are Presbyterians, okay? That's the Presbyterian, <laughs> right? So you get all the different sides of what people are doing at a, at a football game or whatever game. The same thing is going on in the church. It's different flavors of the same body of Christ. The apostle Paul knew that and he lived that. And what he rejected was this, is that culture was more important than Christ. Culture is not more important than Christ. Can you say that with me? Culture is not more important than Christ. Christ is king. So we go down here, he says, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Slaves to what? To someone's culture. I'll tell you here in just a few minutes what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and that's what you hold on to more than anything else. In fact, to the exclusion of anything else. This verse is written for you. It was written 2,000 years ago. It was written for me as well. It says this, We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You're in the Bible. You're in the Bible. You know where you're in the Bible? You're in the Bible right here. God said that I'm going to give this man courage to have the guts to stand for Christ more than culture so that you'll hear the truth. Church, hear me on this. couple applications for us today. Stand for Christ more than anything else. Stand for Christ. 
Jesus Christ alone will save us. Jesus Christ alone will lead our lives in meaningful ways. Jesus Christ alone will be the one to give you the rules that guide your life. Do not be conformed by the world around you. Do not be conformed to the world around you. The reason why we put all these things together for you is because we want to help you find your way in a world that I have to tell you, the pressure is a lot different than it was in the world he faced that day. The world that the Apostle Paul faced was a religious cultural war. The world we face today is a secular versus follower of Christ culture war. Don't get caught up in the culture problems. Stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on Christ. The world will rage around us. We stay focused on Christ. We are citizens of another kingdom beyond this one. Praise be to God. We live in this beautiful, amazing, wonderful, strong, vibrant country that we live in. And it is worth holding and keeping, absolutely. But we serve in a kingdom that is greater, greater than just the world around us. We'll talk more about that as the coming year comes along. Paul was sharing with the Gentile people the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what people wanted was is that they wanted to take Jewish culture into Turkey. By the way, this was written to Galatians, and they lived in what's called today modern-day Turkey, right? And so they were absorbed in the idea that the culture mattered more than the Christ. And Paul said, we're not going there. We're not going there. Because Christ matters more than that. Don't follow a political track with me this morning, by the way. If, I, if my words here would, would try to confuse you in that, it's not, I, it's not politics. This is about you and your life. And we'll talk further and more about that. The people that were chasing him were called Judaizers. Their idea was is that they wanted to force onto you their way of life rather than the way of God. Paul refused to give in to them. Paul refused to give in to every component of what they were pushing for, so much so that he went back to Jerusalem to talk with those people. Pastor Doug has a saying that we use around here. You've probably heard it several times before. If anyone else is getting cold in here, raise your hand. If I'm getting cold, it might be a little cold in here today. Maybe we might shut that down. I'm afraid few of the people are going to start a fire on the front row up here. And before you know it, I mean, Holy Spirit fire, yes, that fire, maybe not. Pastor Doug likes to use this phrase. We are a no adjectives church. No adjectives. We are Christians. We're Christians, simply. We're not right-wing Christians. We're not left-wing Christians. We're not black, white, brown, or any other color of the skin. Christians, we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We, we don't follow some philosophy or some doctrinal position. We don't say we're this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian. We would say this, hear me. We're not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. That's a very clarifying statement that should hold us back. By the way, the people that were a part of our gathering, this Christian church that we're a part of, in 1804, they came up with that line in 1804. This isn't about the current modern day. That slogan, if you will, has been used for 200 uh, and plus years, saying this, we're not the only Christians, but we'll just be Christians only. We don't need an adjective to explain our, our followership of Christ. The Apostle Paul did not need one either to preach a different message than the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he proved his lordship by dying on our behalf and resurrecting from the dead is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's cultural, but it's not the gospel. Cultural Christianity will only take you so far. It makes you part of a subgroup. It doesn't identify us with Christ. We're to be identified with Christ, 
People want methods. We want Jesus. People want coping skills. We want Jesus. People want watered-down milk. We want Jesus. We're not going to water down the milk. And, we're, and we're, what we're not going to do is we're not going to say, here's a nice little package. Open it up for a nice little donation of $49.99. What you get is all of this. That's not us. That's not us. We haven't been that. We're not going to be that. We are simply Christians. We are, we, there were antagonists who were after Paul, and the one big thing that he did not do was this. He checked in. He was accountable. He got encouragement. And then you know what he did? He went back to the work. Cultural Christianity will distract you and I from sharing the gospel with people who are going to hell. It will distract us. It will keep us from ever getting to the place where people who need a Savior come to a Savior. It will get us to a place where what we're forcing on them is culture more than then bringing them good news. They wanted to impose, impose cultural and religious norms onto people. The Apostle Paul resisted, so should we. Hear us. We should be a people who are about grace, grace, and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth is how we are to parent. Grace and truth is how we're to be with each other. Grace and truth is how we're to neighbor. Grace and truth is how we're to live in such a way that other people might know that Jesus is Lord and we don't want to bring them to religion. We want to bring them to a Savior. How about you? I want you to know a Savior. This is all about knowing Jesus Christ. It's not about culture. It's about something bigger. Does the culture matter? Absolutely Absolutely. But what matters most is that Christ would live in our lives and that Christ would actually live in someone else's life. Paul began a 17-year journey. Remember, Paul didn't start out. Paul started out culturally too, right? What did he do? He was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians because he believed them to be followers of an apostasy. And what happened? He met Jesus on the road, right? the road to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, what happened was is that he found the Lord and the Lord found him and he said, I'll give my life to you so that I can be a vessel used in the life of others. We're trying to do the same here at Foothills is that we've had encounters with the living God and we want you to have an encounter with the living God. We don't want you to learn methods. We don't want you to learn tricks. We want you to learn Jesus. Let me tell you the gospel for just a moment, okay? We have people we fall short of our own expectations. We fall short of uh, expectations we have for others. We fall short of all the kinds of things that go on in the world. We fall short, okay? That means we're sinners. And so as a sinner, we then have an issue to deal with, and that is how do we deal with the sin in our lives? Well, the way that we deal with the sin in our lives in a normal way is, is that we begin to blame ourselves, shame ourselves, and then what we do is we blame and shame others along the way. The gospel message comes along, and Jesus says, I know you're a sinner. The one thing I ask of you is this, is to, is to put down the thought that you can save yourself and come to me with your sins, repent of your sins, be baptized into me. The baptism doesn't save you. The baptism is one of those things where God says, if you mean it, then do it. It's kind of like a wedding. If you love me, that's great, but let's get married. And he says that in the same process. God says, okay, you can tell me you love me, but show me, show me you love me, and I will pour into you my Holy Spirit to guide your life. I will forgive you and leave you in, lead you in life. I was in Washington a few years ago at a national prayer breakfast, and I heard this little quad uh, a deal of four things that really, really did sum up the gospel for me so well, is that coming to salvation means seeing Jesus as a man, then moving from Jesus the man to saying, okay, Jesus was a teacher. What did he teach about? 
did he have anything to say to hearing his claims about being the Messiah and saying, he did live as a man, he did teach great things, and in his teaching what I did was is that I came to believe that he could save my life. And then once he saved my life, what he asks for is the big thing, and that is he wants to be the Lord of my life. Where is Jesus in your life? Is he just a man? I mean, he was just a man. I mean, even the Romans and even the Jewish historians said he was a man. Uh, is he a teacher? Okay, well, if he's a teacher in your life, what is he teaching you about? What is he saying? How is he showing you? How is he guiding your life? Have you gotten to the place where you're ready to say, okay, he not only has something to say to my life, I actually want to let him be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life. I want to give him, I want to give my life to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to accept him as the Savior of your life. The fourth thing is, is that I want him now to be the Lord of my life. And you know what the Lord of my life means? I want him to guide me in how I live. That's what we're asking. God, lead me in how I should live, not being conformed by the world around us. We don't want you to join the church. We want you, catch it, ready, to be the church. Be the church. Be the body of Christ. Be the ones that follow and share the message with others. Let's look at verses 6 to 10 and see what he says. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. What he's saying is, is this. He said, I don't care how influential they were. Jesus was more influential to me than them. Powerful word. Verse 7, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been tasked with the gospel to preach to the circumcised. Look, all of us are called into different ways in different places. God's kingdom is big, broad, and wide. It looks different. You have Pentecostals and Presbyterians. We have people that have all kinds of different ways. Some like to raise a hand. Some go about that high. Some go to the second floor. Some people go to the roof, right? I mean, just depends on where you want to stand when you're doing what you're doing. The key is this. Give God your glory. Give God your glory. If it's this high, this high, this high, it's not more significant if it's higher than it is. It's all about giving God the glory in our lives. And he's saying that here. Look at verse, verse 8. For God was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised and was also work with me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Here's what, we, here's what the world does. Ready? It divides us. It always works to divide us. The oldest thing to learn in war is what? Divide and conquer, right? He's saying, nope, we're not divided. We're just different. Hear me on this. Unity is around Jesus, not uniformity. We have different ideas and different thoughts. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but in my family, there's all kinds of different ideas and opinions and thoughts. And we have this wonderful dialogue and conversation and all those kinds of things. And my job is not to teach them what to think. My job is to compel them to think and to give them these information about Jesus and let them make a decision for themselves. Look what he says, James, Cephas, and John. These are big names, okay? These are big names. He was going, tell me if I'm wrong. He went and he got accountability. Those esteemed as pillars, he called them pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. What he's saying is this, is the gospel is what held the church together, not the culture. The gospel held the church together, you all. You should know this. Pastor Doug set up this, this sermon, okay, weeks ago. It's not like we said, hey, on Tuesday, what should we preach about? Okay? 
He set this up weeks ago. Why? We pray God leads our churches being all that. He's saying, we followed Christ, follow him with us. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they will go to the circumcised. And then verse 10, look at it as it finishes out. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. You know what's so powerful about that? It's because in James it also says is that pure and undefiled faith or religion is this, that you would care for widows and orphans, those who had needs. Isn't it powerful that after they had this big, great conversation about conforming to the same idea and being all on the same page and all those kinds of things, the last thing that they came back to was, remember that our expression of love for God is found in its purest form by our love for those who have needs. That's in that book. That's, that's a, I don't know about you, but I mean, I read it and I went, wow, thank you, God. Help me keep on purpose. Remember the first one that we talked about for the year? Don't forget your purpose. They went back to and finished these verses with saying, that is our purpose. Now, the world around us is pushing on you, not in a religious way. They don't want to tell you how to live your religion. Like, oh, you're crazy. Anyhow, you're a follower, whatever. You're crazy, land. They've already given up on the idea of a religious idea of argument with each other. It's now about the secular world telling you how to conform. That is going on. And they are pushing hard. And you know where they're after first? You know the most dangerous years or most vulnerable years in the life of a person? 10 to 13. 10 to 13. They're coming after your 10 to 13s, because why? They're impressionable, they're interested, the world is opening up to them, their sphere of relationships is growing, everything is moving on. Peer pressure starts then, but I will say this to you, it only intensifies when they're about mm, 21. Because at 21, the world goes, what are you going to do that's useful? And they've had all those years trying to shape those kids and do all those things along the way. And then what they challenge you with is, okay, what are you going to do? Well, then you need to join the race with the rest of us rats and be a part of this deal called you are now a part of us. That's the world that is coming after us. Some of us have sent our kids off to college and thought, who did they send me back? Fair? The world is pushing harder than ever to tell us how to live. Let me give you a few guidances about that. Instead of being conformed to the world, instead of being conformed to a secular world, there's actually things that we should be thinking about. Number one, we should be wise as snakes and innocent as doves. Wise as snakes and innocent as doves. That's actually red letter stuff. Jesus said that himself. Be as shrewd as a snake and be as innocent as a dove. Let me give you the three big ways that they're trying to influence us. Number one is with media. The media is telling us what to think. The media used to say, here's what's going on. Now they're saying, we'll make what's going on go on. And then we'll tell you, here's how you should view it. Can I get an amen in the room? Right? I think they've lost their way, right? They've become priests and pastors more than any of us have been. They're like, no, no, get back. We're going to tell you how to interpret everything around us. That's called hermeneutics. We're going to tell you how to think. That's going on today. It's been going on for a while, but it's really going on. They're telling us what to think about certain people, who's good, who's bad, what we should think of them, what we should think of their lives, about all the different kinds of parts and pieces that go along with that, what to think about certain situations, uh, what to think about the layers within society. That's what the media is doing. The second one is the priests, the real advocates of the faith, if you will, that are in the secular world, because the secular world is a faith. The real advocates for the world around us are the celebrities. 
The celebrities serve as the priests and priestesses of that entire idea. What they do is that they want to use their influence to shape our kids, to shape our lives. They want to tell us who should be our heroes, who should we look up to, what should we think about this, or what should we think about that. They'll even go so far as to actually call themselves and who do you idolize? That's spiritual language, friends. Let me tell you what celebrities know that a lot of us actually don't think about very often. Celebrities know and realize this. Everyone was made to worship someone or something. They know that. And so what they do is, is that they go out there and give their best case for why we should worship them and why we should follow them. Think of the words that are interesting that are used in our culture today, right? Is that they have followers, okay, on devices. Do you know what the word device, you know what? It's a 13th century French word. Do you know what the word device, it was D-E-V-I-S. You can go look it up. The history, the etymology of that word. These are called, our phones are called devices, right? You know what devices were? They were an instrument created to divide. Go look it up. I make this up. Want to go look up the word mortgage? You know what the word mortgage is? It's a French and a Greek word. You know what it means? Death grip. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. Mortality, mort, gauge, the French word for grip. It's a death grip. But the idea of being in the death grip industry sounds a little awkward, doesn't it? We're going to death grip you. No, we'll just give you a mortgage. And here the rates are better today. But I digress. The word device was the notion of an instrument created to divide. That's the idea. I mean, these are, I didn't make it up. This is what it is. So what they do is, is that they know two things. One, everybody was made to worship someone or something. And catch this, they know that everybody in the world is a tither. Everybody tithes. You know that, right? Everybody tithes. We all give our best and choice dollars to what matters the most in our lives. We do. So we tithe by buying jerseys. We tithe by buying whatever and whatever. And before you think that I'm, I'm railing against any of that, you can go to my closet. I got jerseys. I mean, I like that. But I don't worship there. They we, but we all tithe. We all tithe. My encouragement to you is this. Tithe to the God that will actually be the God that will bless and encourage your tithe as opposed to just consume what you give them. Our God is a God who gives. One of the most beautiful things, almost joyful things for me is how much what we all give, what we tithe here in this church goes to look after other people in this, in this community, in this world. Remember that part about verse 10 where it says, look after the poor? We do that, not because we want to pat ourselves on the back, but because we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and that other people count and matter. Celebrities will do a couple of fake do-gooder ideas and yeah, I put my name on this and do all that sort of stuff. The reality is, is they expect you to tie to them. They want to tell you what to wear, what to drive, where to live, what to own, how to think about yourself, how you should take this and be influenced by that, how you should travel the way that they want you to travel, how you should watch and listen to whatever they want you to watch and listen to. And most importantly, they're not really looking at you. They're looking at your kids. They're looking at your kids because they're looking at your kids. They go, we want that. We want their innocence. We want to take all their affinity and all like that. I love sports. You know I love sports. I love sports. It's just not my God. Make sure it's not yours either. Be careful. The world won't know where to stop. The modern-day uh, notion of conforming is astronomical. It's nonstop, guys. Honestly, the first thing that will happen when you look at your phone is that it's going to want to try to sell you something. It's going to want to try to push you to have some. And the whole notion of marketing is to do what? Is to create a sense where we don't have enough. 
We did a little survey. I know it's going to shock all of you. Okay, you ready? You all have enough. We got enough. Well, we do have enough. At some point, we can be able to say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I've, I've got enough. I want to share a story with you about my own life because I'll be transparent with you. I can't preach about things that I know in theory. I speak about my own life for a moment here. But you need to hear this caveat beforehand. Okay, ready? The Friesens have warts. The Friesens get pimples. The Friesens have problems. The Friesens have issues. The people, the Friesens get B's and C's. I will say to my kids, hey, I know you're working toward that A and all like that. But honestly, I got to tell you, on my best day, I'm a C plus. Okay. A lot of times I'm hanging on that C minus, and by the way, D's get degrees, and I thought about that a couple of times too, <laughs> right? You know what I tell my kids when they go off to college? I'm, I'm not so much interested in you getting a degree as much as I'm interested in you getting an education. You see how that value proposition is different? I want them to learn. I want them to learn to think. So we're not perfect. We're, we are so far past. In fact, we don't even know where the off-ramp is to perfect, okay? I mean, we, we, we just do our world, and we're C-plus on a good day. Let me tell you about a story about how we tried to live our values out. 30 years ago, we, Shadley and I, my wife and I, we bought a house in Colorado. We were newly married. We were scratching dimes, pennies, nickels, everything we could together, and we bought a first house. And we bought that first house in 1991, and we scraped together everything we had, and we bought it. And we were so excited about that house. I mean, so excited about that house. And it was wonderful to us. I want to say something before I get too far on the story. The story I'm about to tell you is not about the house. Okay? Think in layers with me. I'm going to use it as the illustration, but stay with me and go a little deeper, okay? We bought a house. It was 1,400 square foot. I don't, I, actually, it was 1,364 square feet. Someone along the way measured it later, about 25 years later, and said, I think this house is over 1,400 square feet. I mean, you should have seen us walk around like we were something on that day, right? We had 40 more square feet than we ever knew we had in that house. That house had three bedrooms and una baño. Ein Toilette, if you speak German, okay? One bathroom, if you speak English. That house had three bedrooms, one bathroom, and until July of this last year, all six of the Friesens had lived in that house with three bedrooms and one bathroom. And you know what? It was glorious. No one got to hide. No one hid. For, uh, no one ran off. If you had an if you had an argument or a discussion, it was too loud or whatever. Everybody was a part of it. We all worked it through. You go ask any of my kids. Don't, don't grab Brenna afterwards, but you can grab any of my kids if you want along the way and go, hey, what does it mean in the freezing house to work it out? It means we know how to learn to forgive each other. We know how to work through our struggles with each other. So dial it forward with that house, right? So we had that house for 30 years. All kinds of great things happened in that house. First child was uh, uh, born and brought home in that house. That first child left for college from that house. Uh, second child, third child, fourth child, all those kinds of things. We lived there on West Dahlia Street. I had to spell the flower D-A-H-L-I-A so many times. I wish we would have lived just on Daisy Street, right? I mean, my life would have been so much more easy. We lived on Dahlia Street and explained it our whole lives. But you know what we really had to spend all of our time explaining? Every one of our kids, when they got to be about 10, 11, 12 years old, they come home from school and they go, why do we live in a little house? I'm like, well, what makes you think we live in a little house? Well, all my friends have got a bigger house. I'm like, oh, okay, I mean, that's cool. I mean, let's talk about all that. Well, one of the things that we started doing when our kids were five and six was we started taking them to Mexico every year and building houses for people who lived in shanties. 
Okay, And over the course of all of those kids growing up, we were a part of directly and indirectly building at least personal houses, about seven or eight houses, and indirectly about 30 houses that we helped to build over the course of all of that time. And so we come home from those Mexico trips and we go, man, look at this big house. What are we going to do with all this room? We have something called indoor plumbing in that house. Remember, the story is not about the house. You know what happened along the way? All three of the older kids learned to speak Spanish. Why? Because they learned that Spanish-speaking people matter to God and they matter to them and they wanted to be able to communicate and, and be a part of their culture and understand them and learn them and be a part of all of that. And, 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 and again, dial it forward. Well, we would come home, we'd go, and it was so amazing as our kids would get to about 16, 17, 18 or whatever, and they go, you know, don't ever sell this house. You should have seen how hard it was for us to tell them last year, we're selling the house. You know why? Because it was a place of living out biblical values. It warts, pimples, bumps, bruises, arguments, discussions, all those kinds of things. But it was a place where we sought to live out biblical values. In your life, do you have a place where you're seeking to live out biblical values? Are you teaching your kids about finance? Are you teaching your kids about what it means to have enough and to have maybe not enough? Are you teaching your kids about what it means to give it away and to look after other people? Uh, are you showing out, uh, living out biblical values? Just so you understand, it's not about the house. We owned rental properties bigger than our own house, okay? We went out of the last 13 years, five years without taking any form of a salary whatsoever because we had lived below our means in that little bitty house, Okay? We have been able to follow God and serve people and build hospitals in India and hospitals in Mexico and neighbors that we cared about and looked after them because we made a simple decision, and that was this. If we spent less on the dwelling and more on the life, we think it would turn out better. We think it will turn out better. We're still a work in progress. Look, really honestly, we should have four construction zones right up here, or construction cones up here on the stage. Because you know what Pastor Doug and Pastor Harv and Dana and Steve and Emma and all the other people on staff are? We are a work in progress. But what we are working on is being followers of Jesus, not being cultural Christians. That's what we're trying to do. Imperfect as it is, Paul was saying the same thing. Don't be conformed by the world around you. Because here's the struggle that everybody in the world is having right now. When's enough enough? When's enough enough? When's enough enough? That's just stuff. Three times we seriously considered moving. And you know what we did? We sat around the kitchen table there at 736 West Dahlia Street, and we sat at that kitchen table. We prayed. We talked. Shad and I would usually talk and pray beforehand. And then we'd have kids come in and go, okay, well, here's what we're thinking about doing like that. But just so you know, it means we can't do this and this and this and this. Okay, get your vote ready. We kept staying in that house. This story's not about the house. We kept saying our values all of a sudden became their values. And it was more about Jesus guiding our steps than anything else, than anything else in your life. I, I just have, again, remember, I found out about this in the middle of the week. I mean, Pastor Doug should be up here speaking, right? So I'm sorry I got the B team today. But in that process, I said, hey, can I just preach on what God lays in my heart? And he goes, yeah, yeah go ahead and do that. I mean, you're on a one-day contract anyway, Harvey. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to pray for me tomorrow about 10 o'clock, I meet with Pastor Doug via Zoom. Anybody here been fired over Zoom before? If you do, give me a couple tips, right? 
a little slogan I'd love to see you maybe think about putting in your house, especially if your parents are small kids, okay? Here's what the Friesens did. We prayed together, we played together, we stayed together. We prayed together, we played together, we stayed together. Keep that somewhere in your thoughts. Keep that somewhere in your game plan. Keep that somewhere in the way that you want to go do your life. I don't care if you're 75, 85, 15, 30, wherever. We prayed together, we played together, we stayed together. That's the church of Jesus Christ. You want to add to that? We served together, we loved together, we cared for others together, we did all kinds of things. But the three big, we prayed together, we played together, we stayed together. That's what we're after. What's your purpose? What are you making sure you're not being conformed to? I want you to see a couple of verses up here before we finish, and we're heading to the close right now. So if you look at this, it says in Matthew chapter 7, Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Just look at the world around us and say, Do I want that? Do I want that? You'll recognize them by the fruit that is in them. There's another verse that's important for us now that will guide us a little bit, and it's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It says, uh, not these, but the next ones in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, says, um, for all that it... Oop, one verse back, sorry. Verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God will abide forever. I want you to see it in the New Living Translation because it uses a word that I think is important, and it's actually kind of playing out in our world today. It's called cravings. This is the New Living. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you, for when the love of the world for for when you love the world you do not have the love of the father in you verse 16 for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and a pride in all of our achievements and possessions these are not from the father but they're from the world verse uh, 17 and this world is fading away and everything that Everything that people crave is also fading away. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Look, we all know this, right? The chairs are going to end up in hell. The carpet's going to end up in hell. The stuff we have is going to end up in hell. All that kind of stuff. The one thing that goes on is you. That's it. The rest of it's going to stay here, right? It's going to end up at a garage sale someday anyhow if you, li if you, if, if you live, you know, live it out and your people behind you live it out, right? I mean, you do know those things that really, 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 really matter to you. Your kids are going to come along and go, why do we have that? Oh, dad got that back then. Mom got that back then. In my world, it's going to be, dad got that. Are you kidding me? Dad got this and dad got that. And dad... Right? It's all going to end up in a garage sale. Put your life, focus your life on Jesus Christ. What if we as a church said this? We are going to pray together, we're going to play together, we're going to serve together, we're going to love together, and we're going to stay together. That's our church. That's our church. That will separate us out, and that will be a community that you and I, we want to be a part of. Amen? Amen. Let's be let out. God's rules have our best interest in mind. If you've been fighting his design and are ready to reconcile with him, please don't wait. 
download our booklet, How to Connect with Jesus. Make plans to be joined with Christ in the baptism by texting FH Baptism to 97000. Start a prayer journey by texting FH Prayer to 97000. Or join a small group to partner with you as you seek the face of God by going to foothills.org/groups. Lastly, download the FH app and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For those of you at home, go through the discussion questions and pray for God to guide your life. If you're on campus, please stand for a closing blessing. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.